When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 14, and today we're talking about books released on August 11th, 2015. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Boom! Hello. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ta-da! Confetti cannon! Here we kitten are! parade! Woo! Ooh, a kitten parade. That's yeah. new. But very on topic and on brand for us. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So yeah, it's time to do this again. Yes, it's rainy here and I just want to curl up and read. So curling up and talking to you about books is basically the next best only other thing I want to do. Yeah, it's super sunny and gorgeous here and I just want to read. I want to read when it snows and when it rains and when people are talking to me. And I just, you know, want to read all the time. A reader for all seasons. Yes. Yeah. We had the rain a few days ago. We had, like, this micro storm that was so insane. I've never seen rain like that. You couldn't see, like, five feet out the window. It was crazy. People were pulling into our yard. Oh. It was just nuts. Yeah, the South has some good weather, but... I grew up in the Midwest, and we have the best summer thunderstorms in the Midwest, and I miss that. So I just, I think I'm just going to, like, turn on Counting Crows later and tap into my teenage angst and read with the lights off or something. <laughs> It'll Hopefully be not satisfying. off all the way. <laughs> I'll read on my iPad. It oh, lights itself. <laughs> right, I forgot. I forgot about that newfangled, you know, From technology. <laughs> <laughs> we have some good books this week. We certainly do, Yes. Um, I'm so excited to talk about this first book, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Um, This book is called The Beautiful Bureaucrat by Helen Phillips, and it just made me want to claw at my own face out of sheer joy, which is a good thing, really. I mean, I just was like, oh, oh, this is so great. It is so weird and wonderful and luminous and just so unusual. Uh, It's about a young woman named Josephine, and she has moved to an unnamed city with her husband, Joseph, and she's been looking for work, and she's finally hired to, at this, like, sort of nameless company, to enter numbers into a computer. Like, that's her job, just enter numbers all day. Okay, so, like, a data entry. Yeah, yeah, that. And so she's, um, it's just very unusual. She's hired by this faceless, nameless person, like, they're wearing dark glasses, and she can't tell what sex they are. And they don't really seem to have any features. Um, and they have, like, the worst breath she's ever smelled. So she calls them the person with bad breath, like, throughout the rest of the book. <laughs> her boss is the person with bad breath. Um, and she gets hired to do this job. And, like, on the same day that she's hired, she and her husband are evicted. And they spend the book moving from one, like, gross, horrible, weird sublet to another. Um, and as the weeks go by, Joseph begins to disappear for short stretches of time. Like, one night he just doesn't come home. And she's all terrified and worried and... You know, then he shows up again, and he's like, oh, I was at work, and it's all strange to her. 
And around this time, she starts to wonder more about the place where she works. Like, she starts snooping around, um, trying to figure out, like, what the names and numbers that she's entering means. And she starts sneaking around the building, looking around. Like, there's the elevator that doesn't open on certain floors, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. And she discovers that some of her coworkers look an awful lot like her. Huh. Um, I don't want to give away anymore, but... I'm intrigued. Yeah. It's so bizarre and magical. I, like, I could not hold still while I was reading this book. It was really hard. I just kept being like, <laughs> so happy. Um, it also reminded me of this other wonderful book I read a couple years ago. If you're really into, like, bizarre office job books, um, it's called Radio Iris by Anne-Marie Kinney. They're both sort of, like, Calvino-esque, if that's a word. If it isn't, I just made it up. It totally is. Um, they're, and they're wonderful. And, again, this book was called The Beautiful Bureaucrat by Helen Phillips. Well, you've got me on the hook for that one. So good. Weird workplace stories are so fun sometimes. Yeah. I was thinking, I mean, this is not nearly as weird and surreal as the book you just described, but I was thinking about lightning rods oh, recently. that was another one I thought of. Yes, I love that book. So filthy. <laughs> <laughs> it is so filthy. I don't even know how to describe it here mm -hmm. for our listeners at all. So if you like weird and filthy workplace stories, just go look up lightning rods. Yes. Helen DeWitt, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. She was wonderful. Um, my first pick this week is called Bright Lines by Tanwi Nandini Islam. Uh, this is a Penguin paperback original. So uh, especially those of you who are in book clubs and you guys just do paperbacks, you don't even have to wait a year. You can just snatch this one right up. The editor sent this to me several months ago with a like, hey, you're really going to like this book. It seems right up your alley. And she was absolutely right. Uh, this is a story about a family from Bangladesh who have been living in the Bed-Stuy neighborhood in Brooklyn, which happens to be a place that I've spent uh, a lot of time when I've traveled. So that was cool to get to read stories about a neighborhood that I can picture in my head and know what it looks like. Um, the father of the family, his name is Anwar, owns an apothecary. He's well known in the neighborhood. And he's also holding some really big, serious secrets from his past, um, including his involvement, doing some not so wonderful things, things that he's very ashamed of um, during a war. Anwar also has a secret room in the house where he goes to smoke weed and basically forget about his problems. Uh, his niece, Ella, lives with his family in their home in Bed-Stuy because she was orphaned. Both of her parents were killed in the same war that he has secrets from. And he and his wife have their own teenage daughter named Maya as well. So the story really kicks off with Ella coming home. Ella's the niece. She comes home from college for the summer. And Maya, who's still a teenager, she's living at home. She thinks that she's going to start a fashion label out of her bedroom, like typical teenage girl stuff. Um, Maya has helped a girl run away from home, a girl who's the daughter of a local Muslim cleric. And over the course of this summer, the girls spend a lot of time together. They have some adventures, they have some misadventures, they have some formative life experiences, and they learn about themselves and each other. Um, there are you know, sexual discoveries, uh, personal identity discoveries, and the story really delves into family secrets, identity of all kinds, cultural identity, gender identity, and um, what happens after a tragedy strikes this family relatively late in the book. Um, so I won't tell you what it is that sort of shakes up uh, all the things that they understand about themselves and uh, their place in their community. It's it's really wonderful. You move a little bit between all of the characters, but we really spend the most time with Ella, and she's just fully drawn and so sympathetically presented. And this, you know, so often reading novels that are set in New York, it feels like not a real 
place for a variety of reasons. This felt so authentic and true to me. Um, and like the, the Brooklyn that I know a little bit of from having visited in the Brooklyn that I wanted to spend more time in, in reality and in fiction. It's just a really wonderful debut. It has me sort of on the edge of my seat for what Tanmi Nandini Islam is going to do next. Uh, so again, that one's called Bright Lines, and it is a paperback original. You can get it brand new now. And I might have some of this information wrong, but I believe she makes a line of candles based she on does. people's books. Yes, she does. Her Twitter profile says, like, I write and I sniff things or something like that. <laughs> That's great. So you can also, you can read great literature from her and you can get literary candles. Awesome. What could you, you know, what's not to love? And the book has a really beautiful cover too. So it if that's the thing really you care about. It is really pretty. It caught my eye for sure. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, before I pass it over to you for our next pick, we want to do the first sponsor of the show this week, and that is us. Again, we're talking about Book Riot Live, which is our first live event happening in New York on November 7th and 8th. Uh, we're going to hang out and do all of the things that Book Riot does, have a big book nerd bonanza for two days and you can join us go to bookriotlive.com to get all the information and to see the schedule and when you buy your ticket use the code more cats all one word to get twenty dollars off so we're gonna have panels at book riot live but they're not the same kinds of panels that you've seen at all the other book events there's not like a mystery thing and a romance thing and a literary fiction thing and um, we know that most readers read a bunch of genres and we thought it would be more interesting to put writers who do all kinds of books together to talk about bigger, uh, overarching issues and ideas in the world of books and reading and the reading life. So that's what we're going to do. Um, one of the ones that we've just finalized this week that I'm really excited about is called Give Good Books, How to Buy for Kids. And it's being moderated by Kristen Stickles, who is a book riot contributor and also the children's and young adult buyer for McNally Jackson, which is a wonderful independent bookstore in Manhattan. And she has four great panelists who are going to talk about how do you pick good books for the kids and teens in your life? And how do you get beyond like Goodnight Moon and The Little House on the Prairie books to give kids books that are good and meaningful and interesting and do all the things that we hope that books for kids will do. So you're bound to get some great recommendations for yourself and for the kids in your life there. We also have a bookish Jeopardy game that's going to be hosted by Ryan Chapman, who's been doing book nerd Jeopardy around New York for several years now. And so we'll have authors and industry folks and readers, maybe some of you and maybe some of us, going head-to-head -head in a battle of wits, memory, and courage. Uh, so maybe time to start you know, boning up on your literary trivia. We're also going to do a live performance of Shakespeare's Star Wars. Have you seen these books? <laughs> I have. I've also seen Eric's outfit. Right. So Quirk Books is doing... Shakespeare Star Wars and it's exactly what you think it's a series of books that yeah. tell the story of Star Wars in Shakespearean language and a bunch of us are going to do a live performance of some of that the actual segment for that at Book Riot Live is called Alas Naughty Droid and like what else <laughs> what else do you need to know I also think I volunteered to be an Ewok in that oh my goodness <laughs> so an Ewok with a ruffled collar Yes, I'll be the world's first purple-haired Ewok. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> it's like if a My Little Pony and an Ewok mated or something. Uh, yes. So, I mean, for that alone, plus we're gonna, we'll do live podcast recordings. So you and I will actually get to sit face to face or next to each other and like hold hands and be excited together. We're doing an episode of all the books with all of our friends. Woo-hoo. So check out bookriotlive.com. See the schedule, see the speakers, check out the cool cocktail party that we're having in the Strands Rare Book Room that you can come to. And don't forget to use the code MoreCats at checkout to save $20. I'm very excited. Me too. Yeah. I I can't believe how many people lately have mentioned that they're going to be there. It's going to be so fun. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. So speaking of awesome, I'm going to tell you about my next book now. You and everyone else. Thank you. Uh, This book is called The Oyster War, The True Story of a Small Farm, Big Politics, and the Future of Wilderness in America by Summer Brennan. And this book is so cool. It's one of those real-life news story investigative journalism type books where the author is also a little involved in the action. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Not, like, obnoxiously so. Just, like, it's, you know, she's part of the story. It's great. Uh, In this case, the author is Summer Brennan. Um, She was living in New York City, and she decided to leave her journalism job and move back to where she grew up, which is near Point Reese in Northern California. I believe at the beginning she mentions, like, how she's in New York City and there's, like, this big blizzard. And she's like, this is how people die in Charles Dickens books. <laughs> she's just like, she's done. She wants to go back to California where she's from. So she moves back to Northern California. And the editor of the paper there hires her to write about an oyster estuary there. Um, it was a family-run oyster farm established in the 1930s that was bought and renamed Drake's Bay Oyster Company in 2005 by a local rancher. Um, The oyster farm was under the protection of the Point Reese Wilderness Act of 1976, but the National Park Service declined to renew the farm's lease past 2012. So now the rancher decides to, you know, fight this, um, and it became this long, huge battle involving the Supreme Court and politicians and environmentalists uh, over whether or not this oyster farm should continue to run. Um, Should people be allowed to continue reaping the benefits of this farm Or should the land be returned to nature? Like, that was the big question. And Summer Brennan found herself in the middle of covering this. And it was, like, very serious business. Like, really divided people in this town. Um, And they were very concerned, like, about getting their opinions out or what people thought. She had, like, people that would only talk to her under the cover of night. um, Or would, like, leave anonymous notes in her car. Like, they would push them through her window. the deep throat of oyster wars. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Just the people on both sides were just very passionate about this issue. Um, and this book is really interesting. It's an interesting topic. Um, it was interesting reading as someone who eats vegan and has never eaten an oyster in her life. I wasn't sure, you know, if I would be able to keep reading. I wasn't Mm. sure how I would feel about it, but it was just so compelling. And, uh, but the real highlight of the book is definitely Summer Brennan herself. She's a really remarkable writer. Um, she reminded me of Susan Casey. Oh, yeah, yes. She wrote The Devil's Teeth and and most recently Voices in the Sea. Um, Wave. Yep, The Wave. Yeah, she reminded me a lot of her. It was was just really good. Um, And I read in her bio that she studied with Mary Oliver, which if that was me, I would have that tattooed on my forehead. (laughs) You just wear a different t-shirt every day that says I studied with Mary Oliver. Yeah, people would be like, table for two. I'd be like, I studied with Mary Oliver. You know, it's like everything. That would be my sentence for everything. AT&T calls to offer you a new long-distance plan. <laughs> That's right. They'd be like, uh... Anyway. Um, yeah, so if you're looking for a great nonfiction to read that will hold your attention like a novel does, then read The Oyster War by Summer Brennan. I'm putting that on my list right now. I hadn't heard of this, and it sounds like it's right in my Hooray! wheelhouse. Hooray! It's out from Counterpoint. I love them. 
Yay. Hi, Counterpoint. We do love you. All right. My next pick is one I think I've teased on a previous episode. And so I finished it and it's out this week and I can finally talk about it. It's In the Language of Miracles by Rajia Hasib. This is another of the big debut novels of the year. I think I mentioned that Bright Lines at the top of the show was a debut and we just it's our chorus. Beautiful Bureaucrat is a debut. 2015 man it's this is such a really wonderful year for books for and for new voices uh so in the language of miracles is about an egyptian american family the alman shawis who live in this small town in new jersey they've lived there for several decades the father is a prominent like well-known figure in the town he's a doctor they're very active in the community and they've spent these last couple of decades working to overcome all of the prejudices that their mostly white neighbors have had about what Egyptian American people might be like. What, and in a broader sense, sort of what it's like to be brown and from the Middle East in a small city in the United States. Um, they have been very close with their next door neighbors, the Bradstreets, who are a white family. And a year before the book starts, um, there's a tragedy in which the Almanshawi son and the Bradstreets' teenage daughter both die. Uh, so the book begins a year after that tragedy when the Bradstreets are planning a memorial for their daughter and uh, the the father, the Amanshawi father, wants to attend the memorial and speak there as well to remind the community of what his family is really like and to try to you know get them accepted again because they've been ostracized by a lot of the members of the community since the tragedy because of what specifically the tragedy was. But I don't want to spoil that. So the whole book takes place in the one week leading up to this memorial service as the father is, you know, insisting that they're going to attend the memorial. His wife, the mother, is insisting that she thinks it's a bad idea, but their marriage is very complex and the dynamic is not one in which her word carries as much weight as his does. They have a teenage son and a teenage daughter who are both trying to recover from this tragedy as well to make everyone is trying to figure out what their role was in what happened. Like, how did they contribute either actively or passively to what happened and and how do they move forward from it? Um, and the parents' marriage is troubled. The um, wife's mother, the mother-in-law, lives has been living with them for the last year as well and is inserting herself into it. And so there are big questions about family dynamics and about uh, American communities, about identity and what it is to be you know, and to be an American who came from somewhere else and has worked to become part of a community and then to be ostracized from it. Um, And it's just so Rajia Hasib thought of all the things that would happen to a family in today's society. She thought of what would happen on Facebook. She thought of what would happen in emails that people would get. She thought of what it would really be like to be a teenager who had had something like this happen in their family. And she really dug into different ways that parents might respond and like, why does the dad think this is a good idea? What's going to go down if he speaks at the thing and it's a disaster and someone takes their phone out? How might the family prevent him from doing it? It's just so compelling. Um, I think I also mentioned before that I think this is a great read alike for people who loved Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. Um, I stand by that completely, but it's a it's a great book for Anybody, I just think if you're looking for something else in the in the vein of everything I never told you, definitely don't miss "In the Language of Miracles" by Rajia Hasib. I want to read that. It's so good, Liberty. Yeah, I don't know why I haven't yet. Maybe because I have a lot of books to read. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. it's not like it's not like we do a show where we each recommend different books, and we're trying not to overlap. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So are you going to tell us about something else? I am. So our second sponsor this week is also Book Riot. I like, it when, <laughs> I like it when we get to talk about our own things. Yes. Um, if you don't know, Book Riot runs a store. It's at store.bookriot.com where you can get great bookish t-shirts and coffee mugs. And there are socks and notebooks and tote bags and coasters and just all sorts of cool things uh, that book nerds like to have uh, either in our homes or on our persons. If an I studied with Mary Oliver t-shirt is not what you want, then maybe you want a Read Harder t-shirt or a Read Harder mug. We've got great Book Riot hoodies. But the big thing is this week only, August 11th through the 17th, some of our classic t-shirt designs are on sale for just $15 a piece. We have one that says, read, 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 in a bunch of different size fonts all arranged together, um, and one that says, read more books. And then back in February for Valentine's Day, we had a shirt that looked like those classic, those chalky candy hearts. And the, the heart says, read to me. Uh, all the ladies' shirts sold out, but we have some men's left over. So for both men and women in t- in a V-neck and crew neck, you can get the read more books or the read, read, read shirt. Uh, and if you want a men's style or size read to me shirt, that's available this week as well for just 15 bucks. So check those out at store.bookriot.com and poke around and see what else uh, we have to sell you there. So you can be bookish from head to toe. I have so many of those things. Me too. I just live in my Book Riot hoodie. It's Me my too. dream. It's just like my dream that I'm going to be walking through the airport wearing it one day and someone's going to go, oh my God, Book Riot. Yeah. I'm still waiting. Hopefully it's Idris Elba. <laughs> that would be awesome. If I meet Idris Elba in the airport, that's the last anyone is ever going to hear from me. <laughs> I'll just be dead. I'll oh, have to yeah. tweet about it from the afterlife. <laughs> yep. Tweeting from the afterlife, that's the name of the next short story that someone's going to write. Yes. Right there. What's next on your list? It is an excellent short story collection. Yay! Yeah. Now, I'm really embarrassed because I don't know how to pronounce the author's name correctly. Um, So I'm just going to say it and we're going to see what's going to happen. Okay? Okay. The book is called Falling in Love with Hominids and it's by Nalo Hopkinson. It's N-A-L-O, so it might be Nalo, but I'm going to go with Nalo. So, that sounds right. Yeah, Nalo Hopkinson. Um, we discussed last week how I haven't read a lot of short story collections this year, and then in the past week I've read five, um, one of which <laughs> which I'll mention later. But um, first off, I think that this book is worth the price alone just for the introduction. She wrote this great piece at the beginning about how she was really depressed as a teenager when she discovered, like, really discovered, like, what a horrible place the world is, oh. and how humans are just ruining it, and... She talks about how she sought solace in books, like science fiction especially, um, and then how she came to love humans again, despite their great and horrible nature, um, hence the title. So it's just this really great beginning to the book. And the stories are marvelous. I, I had never heard of her before, I, I admit, um, and she apparently has some novels that, that people love, and, she, and she's highly regarded. Um, the opening story is about a group of kids who are goofing off, they're just sitting around and like playing this word game. But then she kind of pulls the lens back and reveals that they're actually, like, survivors hiding out after the world has gone to pieces. And there's these horrible creatures. And, you know, it's really good. I was like, ooh. And then there's one about ghosts. Speaking of the afterlife. There's one about ghosts at a mall who have to relive their death every day. Which is, is like, a private thing. Like, you're not Did they die in the mall? Yeah, they died in the mall. Because these are people who died there. Um, and it's like a private thing. Like you're not supposed to like watch someone else have to relive their death. But after that, everyone's free to hang. 
just like chill and you <laughs> so know, you just chat. like get up in the morning relive your death and then you're yeah. on about the rest of your day yeah okay um my favorite story involves a man who is discussing the child of friends um, who seemingly suffers from a growth disorder in which her body remains that of a tiny child while her mind develops and she grows older um spoiler she doesn't the answer oh. to is way better than that i th- that was my favorite story definitely um a few of these stories also have a little introduction from the author. Uh, oh, some, cool. Like some background on the history you mentioned in the story or what she was hoping to accomplish or what inspired her to write that story, um, which I thought was really cool. I would really like to see that in more, in more collections. Uh, so to recap, the book is rad. The stories are smart and unusual. And I'm definitely going to read one of her novels now. And what's it called? Falling in Love with Hominids by Nalo Hopkinson. Yay. Yay. All right. My next pick is about pizza. Yay! <laughs> it's called Slice Harvester by Colin Atrophy Hagendorf or Hagendorf. This is one of those food memoirs that's not so much about food as it is about life, the universe, and everything. And that's exactly how I like my food memoirs. And I, I love a food memoir, so this was perfect for me. Um, back in 2009, Colin Hagendorf was in his mid-20s. Life was not going well. He was sort of coming apart at the seams. Uh he you know was hanging out in the punk he had been a long time punk that was how he found his identity and found his people was through the punk music scene in new york and he just wasn't really getting very far in life he was uh, he was delivering sandwiches on his bike and didn't really and he was drinking a lot and like was not a very good person to date and he knew it but he couldn't see how to sort of find his bootstraps and pull himself up by them. But then he got this idea to try to eat a slice of pizza from every pizza pizza parlor in Manhattan. And at the time, there were nearly 400 of them. And his plan was just to map them out and basically to travel the island of Manhattan from top to bottom, like to walk east to west, top to bottom until he had done this. So he goes out one day with a friend and they eat in like half a dozen pizza places that day and he takes copious notes and he decides that he's going to chronicle the experience on a blog. So he started sliceharvester.com and he starts writing the blog and he also does a quarterly zine of it. So there's a... um, you know, actual printed paper way to interact with the material as well. And his blog started getting traction. He had a few friends that were kind of famous or were fame adjacent. And the right people started reading it. And he got an audience and he got people who clicked the little PayPal donate button so that they could support his pocketbook while he had to pay for all of these slices of pizza that he was eating. Um, So the book moves through the journey of all the different places that he ate. It talks about the pizza, but it spends much more time talking about the friends and the family members and the occasional famous people that he was introduced to who accompanied him on his mission. Like he spends an afternoon eating pizza with Phoebe Cates and her teenage daughter, uh, which is just so great. It's such a delight to read. And he discovers gradually that this project is giving his life meaning and focus. It's driving him to get sober in combination with a woman that he starts dating who's really wonderful. And ultimately, this you know, this seemingly frivolous goal of tasting a a piece of pizza from every parlor in Manhattan turns into a project that really helps him redefine himself and redefine his life. And along the way, he tells us about his childhood, about these meaningful friendships, stuff about his family. Uh, It's it's really wonderful. This is a cool lens to read uh, about someone's life story through. And I felt like it was 
it's not like the stunt memoir because he didn't set out to like, I'm going to do this so that I can write a book about how it changed my life. Um, if he's to be believed, and I think that he is, he had no idea when he started doing this that he would even finish or that it would change his life in any meaningful way at all. And it's it, it was a really, really fun read. You can go to sliceharvester.com still to read his blog. He's still writing. You can see the map of all the pizza places that he went to. So you could check that out. You could follow along, um, read about the great slices that he eats and where he gets them and go uh, if you live in New York or if you're uh, visiting. I thought it was really great. Uh, and it got me thinking, maybe I will go on a journey to eat all of the artisan ice cream sandwiches somewhere. Yeah, in uh, Toronto, yes. I'm guessing. Yeah, well, I know they have at least one in Toronto. Maybe um, you could just sit there all day. <laughs> maybe we can kickstart uh, a book where I travel the country eating ice cream sandwiches. Yeah, and visiting indie bookstores. Yes, and or you come with me. We Thelma and Louise our way across the country eating without ice the cream. ending. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I'm gonna just briefly mention what we're gonna do now because okay. we're running out of time. And the other book that I really, really wanted to talk about today got pushed back to September, and so we're just gonna give a little glimpse of our reading lives at this moment. Um, do you want me to start? Yes. Okay. So, I just read Three Moments of an Explosion by China Mieville. Is that how we decided we say his name? I think that's what we You were, were talking with. about it last week. Yes. It was amazing. Oh, <laughs> it was I haven't so read it yet. Amazing. Oh my goodness. So amazing. I also read a novel that came out last week uh, called Days of Awe by Lauren Fox and absolutely loved it. It's about a, a woman whose best friend dies in a car accident and it kind of like changes her life and the lives of people involved with her. Uh, it was fantastic. Um, I just received a book in the mail called Love Love by Sung Jae Woo, which is about uh, siblings, one of whom is a failed painter and she's really unhappy with her life. And her brother is a former tennis player who decides to give a kidney to their ailing father and then it turns out that he's not a genetic match. So they go on a journey to find out the true story of his parents. Um, I just bought this a book. The last book I bought was called The Little Town Where Time Stood Still by Bohumil Harbal, which you had mentioned several shows ago. Um, he oh, wrote yes. a book called Too Loud a Solitude, which is about a guy who lives and works in a factory that makes books, and the factory is closing down. It's a fantastic book. Um, here's your bummer for the day when oh, I no. was when I was reading about him. It turns out that he died when he fell out the window while trying to feed some pigeons. No, what? Right. Yeah. I that's I couldn't keep that to myself. I, I if couldn't. I die that way, make something up. <laughs> oh, I think it's sweet. Oh, I think it's sweet, but horrible. Like really, really horrible. Uh, I was just like, <laughs> anyway. So I bought that book because I love his his other books. Um, I have a book from the library, which is the book that I'm going to read next because I have a million library books because. The librarian at my library told me that you can take out up to 60 books. And I was like, <laughs> challenge accepted. So I have 50,000 books that I have to return tomorrow before I go to my shift. To they didn't know who they were talking yeah, to, were like, clearly. My boyfriend would have paid them good money not to say that. Um, so my the next book I'm going to read is called Ghetto Side, A True Story of Murder in America by Jill Leovi, which came out in January and from everything that I've read and heard is probably going to win all the awards for nonfiction. Um, and... I just read about this book. The book that I most want to get my hands on now is called Eternity Street, Violence Ooh. and Justice in Frontier Los Angeles by John Mac Farragher. Um, it comes out in January from Norton. And it's, I just love the lawless West post-Civil War era 
and I'm really excited about that. So that's my little book roundup. Nice. Uh, well, I just read Mothers Tell Your Daughters, a great collection of short stories by Bonnie Jo Campbell. I'm going to be talking about that in October. I Let's see. I just received Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart, which is a novel based on the true story of one of the nation's first female deputy sheriffs. Um, Amy Stewart wrote The Drunken Botanist, which is a book about... Um, plants and poisons and stuff that I thought was really fascinating. And I'm excited to read her novel. I just bought well, so I bought it last week um, at Malaprops on my book field trip, Headstrong 52 Women Who Changed Science and the World by Rachel Swaby. Uh, the, the pitch for this book is so great and I think relevant. It's inspired by Yvonne Brill, who was a rocket scientist that invented the propulsion system that allows us to keep the communication satellites in orbit. Um, she was awarded the National Medal of Technology and Innovation. But when she died in 2013, the New York Times obituary led with how she made a great beef stroganoff and followed her husband from job to job and took eight years off from work to raise three children and didn't mention anything about her work and accomplishments until later paragraphs. Uh, Rachel Swaby is a freelance journalist who was just really pissed off that um, this continues to happen to women who make significant significant contributions to society and whose wife and motherhood is presented as the highlight of their lives in obituaries. And so she wrote this book about 52 women who changed science and the world so that someone could have, a, you know, could have written the document about what these women's work really meant. I'm so excited to jump into it. It's, it's not terribly long. So sort of 15 snapshots, or sorry, 52 snapshots. Um, I might just read one a week. Um, I'm going to read next Priest by Sierra Simone. This is a romance novel told in the a romance and erotica um, in the first person by a priest who has uh, in his late 20s, and he very recently broke his vow of celibacy on the altar of his own church. Um, Oops. The, I know. <laughs> the friend who recommended it to me said, uh, everything in this book is twisted. And I thought of you. And I was like, okay, all right, yes, sold. So I'm going to read that next. And the book I can't wait to get my hands on is called Negro Land, a memoir by Margot Margo Jefferson. It comes out in September. And I'm starting to hear really wonderful things about uh, about this book and about Margot Jefferson's life. She's a cultural critic and uh, grew up in Michigan. And it should be really fascinating. So that's my reading life snapshot. I just marked that one down myself. Nice. So that's it. Well, we talked that's about our books. Show. Goal we did. accomplished. One more week talking about books. Um, you can, again, get information about Book Riot Live at bookriotlive.com and use the code MORECATS to save 20 bucks on your registration. Please come hang out with us on November 7th and 8th in New York City. And don't forget to check out the store sale at store.bookriot.com to get some of our classic shirts for just 15 bucks this week only. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Rebecca Shinsky, S C H I N S K Y. Liberty is at Miss Liberty. And if you want to take a minute to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, it lets us know how we're doing. And more importantly to us, it helps new people discover the show and, you know, we can spread the book love. So big thanks, as always, to all of you who have already taken time to do that. We really appreciate it. We certainly do. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books. There are a few more awesome books that I'm going to be talking about uh, in the newsletter next week, so you can sign up for our weekly newsletter to make sure you get that and hear about more awesome books. There will be a link to that in the show notes as well. And that is it. 
Happy reading. Happy reading.